This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. About one in five workers in the U.S. lost their job in the beginning of the Great Recession, and many of them never recovered. Instead, millions of people settled for work below the level that they were qualified for and for far less pay. Many also ended up working as contractors without some of the benefits of a traditional company employee. At the height of the recession, the unemployment rate peaked at 10%. It's now below 4%, but while jobs have recovered, wage growth has been slow. To look deeper at the impact of the Great Recession on the jobs market, we are joined uh, on the phone by Peter Capelli, Wharton Professor of Management, who's also Director of the Center for Human Resources, here in studio with Yvonne Barenke, Associate Professor of Management and Associate Professor of Business Economics and Public, Pu- Public Policy here at the Wharton School. And joining us uh, on the phone is uh, David uh, Lewin, who is a Professor Emeritus of Management, Human Resources, and Organizational Behavior at the UCLA Anderson School of Management. Yvonne, great seeing you. Thank you for coming on today. It's great to be here. Thank you. Peter, David, great to have you on the phone with us. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. So, Peter, we'll start with you. When you think of that jobs loss numbers that I mentioned just a second ago, this was something pretty unique to the American uh, American Business Society, correct? Uh, Well, unique back to the Great Depression. Uh, But, you know, to lose this many jobs so fast uh, was certainly something you don't see in other kinds of recessions, but this was not a typical recession. This was a banking uh, crisis. And as we know, those things take a very long time to clear up, and it certainly did here. I think the interesting thing just to remember about this is, the, as you say, the effects linger. But as with a lot of uh, unpleasant events, they hit uh, people differently, and they hit the weakest people the hardest. So people who are just getting into the labor market uh, suffered the most. People who were in jobs that weren't particularly secure also suffered the most. And in terms of the after effects, those people continue to suffer the most. David, your thoughts? Well, uh, I do think the Great Recession uh, should be compared to the Great Depression because they're the two closest uh, events in terms of impact. In addition to what, uh, what Peter has mentioned, I would point out that um, the public sector was held by many people, citizens and politicians and others, uh, to be heavily responsible for the Great Recession. And uh, there was much attention, and this is, of course, in addition to the uh, subprime uh, mortgage uh, effects. And uh, this was reflected in the uh, attacks in many states, beginning in uh, uh, Midwestern states, on public employee unions and, in fact, on public employees per se. And the results of that were to um, cut back on the pay, but especially on the benefits, retirement benefits and health care benefits of public employees uh, now all around the country. And so the idea that uh, the public sector as a whole was a force for good and was highly regarded I think was turned upside down, if you like, by the uh, campaign against uh, public employees, including employment, with a growth in contracted jobs to the private sector, and of course, and continuing un- quite re- until quite recently, the attack on public employee unions. So that is one additional uh, impact uh, that I would point out. Yvonne? Well, um, 
First of all, I have to apologize because I feel very responsible. Um, I actually moved from England to the U.S. in 2008, so I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I caused and you triggered it with you. Yeah. Yes, uh, you know, I ne never had I said so much impact on a whole country with so little action. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is of course a, a, a seminal event, and uh, it's it's. It's interesting to, to think about what caused it, and you know this has been analyzed a lot. Uh, but there's, that, that gives rise to some some issues of uh, what um, computer programmers call hill climbing. You know, you, you can perfectly describe one phenomenon, but that doesn't necessarily prepare you for the next. Because what what is what is really re interesting now, um, not just what caused it, but what happened since. You know, we all know that the stock market uh, is is very very high, so corporations are very rich. But really, what to me is one of the most striking thing, and um, having read broadly in, in terms of the literature, what we don't understand is why working conditions, meaning um, you know, wages and you know, benefit packages, have not really improved. We have um, in economics the you know not many strong. In, economics is not a natural science. You know you, <laughs> you have to make up rules or laws. But one law that we live by is the so-called Phillips curve, yeah. which says that there's an inverse relationship between the change in unemployment and the change in wages. So when unemployment goes down, uh, wages uh, go up. But that hasn't happened, and people really struggle to understand why. And I think if if we don't understand why this is happening in the U.S. now, um, if we don't understand why, we will not understand when it will stop. And um, that leads me kind of to the next issue that perhaps we might not have enough time to find out why, because the, the next recession, um, just based on, on average since the Second World War, is, must be around the corner. Uh, on average, a recession hit the country every five and a half years since the Second World War, and now we are 10 years in. So I'm not saying we are overdue, but, you know, it will happen again to us. And this is a deep, deep, deep question to me of why the wages are so low. And it speaks to resonance with a number of things that Peter as well said and, and the colleague from UCLA. Um, of, because then the, then the next question is, if the next recession comes, uh, uh, who will suffer from it more or right. most? I mean, people are already poor, yet they are working how much worse can that be, um, people might argue, uh, but it will be very devastating to the social strata. And, you know, this is, I think for me, this is kind of the core thing that we need to understand why the working conditions are so poor. And, you know, researchers honestly don't know. Well, uh, Peter, well, I know we've talked with you about this, but let, let's go over this again, because I think it's important. Why do you think that, that the wage growth has been so slow to come? What factors do you think are really playing in here? Uh, just to maybe back up just a little bit, some of the other consequences that happened that affect uh, things going on now, we had a very sharp rise in the disability rate. And so lots and lots of people, frankly, who couldn't get jobs and might have worked in a different circumstances went on Social Security disability. The system was pretty sympathetic to them. Lots of people gave up and gave up on the workforce and went into retirement of some form or another or just withdrew altogether. And I think that explains partly what's going on, what has gone on now. You know, we would see, for example, in a given month that uh, one month in particular this year, earlier this year, we added 300,000 new jobs, which was a lot. I think it was revised down a little bit, but the unemployment rate actually went up. And the reason for that was there were still lots of people sitting on the sidelines who were gradually being pulled back into the 
labor force. So I think one of the things going on now is still that the job market is not quite as tight as you would have thought, given the unemployment rate, because, of course, unemployment is just a ratio of people who are looking to the number of people in the labor force. So if you give up looking, you're not counted as unemployed, right? So that's the first thing going on. I think it is true that during the Great Recession, employers understandably uh, started to change a lot of their practices. So for example, you didn't have to raise wages because people weren't going to quit. You didn't have to recruit carefully because people are banging on your door all the time just to see if they could get a job. You didn't have to treat people particularly well. So this is one of the first times I've ever seen or heard of where job satisfaction of people who had jobs actually went down. Usually in recessions, if you've got a job, you're pretty happy just to have one and satisfaction goes up. But I think employers, understandably, maybe because of the opportunities and also the pressures on them, started squeezing their regular employees as well. And so we started to see benefits being cut. We started to see more jobs being pushed out to contractors. And of course, Hours of work went up, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, some of this is employers got used to that. And, you know, I think this explains in part why over the last few years, even when the unemployment rate was pretty high, a lot of employers started to do this complaining that they couldn't hire anybody. And the reason was they thought that people, frankly, would just be lined up on their door if you just said you had a a job. So a lot of that still lingers, I think. David, your thoughts? Well, yeah, I was about to say that uh, in addition to what uh, Iwan said, you do have to also take some account of uh, income inequality and of the shares uh, of, of wealth going to capital and labor. And for a long period of time, those shares tended to be relatively stable. But we know uh, that uh, since the Great Recession, the share of, of uh, national income going to capital versus going to labor has shifted rather substantially in favor of capital. And of course, income inequality continues uh, to become more unequal with the top fifth gaining at the expense of the remaining four-fifths and the top 10% of that one-fifth gaining at the expense of the other 90% and the top 1% of that 10% gaining at the expense of the other 9%. So you have increasing income inequality, and you have an increasing share of income going to capital and a decreasing share going to labor. And then uh, on the idea of employment, you can avoid wage costs altogether, benefits altogether, and payroll taxes altogether by going to independent contracting. And I think maybe not enough attention has been paid to how extensive such contracting is. And it's not confined to any industry. The large majority of uh, truck drivers in this country are independent contractors. And that proportion has increased substantially in the last 10 years since the Great Recession. The vast proportion of insurance agents are independent contractors. The vast proportion of delivery folks and folks who install uh, electronic equipment are independent contractors. Uh, Colleges and universities have increased dramatically their use of independent contractors. And in addition to that, there uh, are two other factors I want to to mention. One, and of course this is uh, driven in part by the technology and part by uh, companies (laughs) waking up to discover 
that they can have loads of customers performing work that was previously performed by paid employees. Well, and David, a lot of those jobs that you just rattled off aren't necessarily what you would call gig economy jobs, but they end up to a degree having the same type of impact, correct? I think that's absolutely correct. I think the gig is something of a gag because these are jobs that used to be uh, regular employee jobs. And, and one final point about this, you'll notice how many companies uh, don't use any longer the word employee. Uh, in a hotel, everybody is all of a sudden an associate. They're not, a ho- they're not an employee. Or in many other businesses, they're a representative or a team member or to use the strain Disney company example, a cast member. This kind of idea that employment and the word employee and even the word labor has gone out of fashion, I think is a real sign of the times, this post-Great Recession era. Yvonne? Peter, uh, Peter, a question to you. I think you have looked into some data on these contingency workers uh, and um, because people speak a lot about the gig economy and how it's kind of taking over uh, in <laughs> taking over most of the traditional jobs, but I think you have some, you've you've found some other data. Can you can you talk about that, Peter? Well, Ivan, I think Ivan actually knows the answer to this. And is, <laughs> but I, I don't. I forget the source, so this is why I asked you. Yeah, yeah the Bureau of Labor Statistics data uh, shows that actually there's no increase in contracting, which is quite surprising. This is sort <laughs> of like the joke about productivity uh, associated with IT that you can see it everywhere except in the data. So I think David's right. You hear, you can take these examples all over the place, but the contingent workers survey published this year shows that the number of contractors, the percentage of contractors has not, uh, has actually not gone up since 2005 and actually by some measures down. Um, and why that is, of course, is a puzzle, right? We don't exactly know uh, what is going on. It's certainly true that lots of jobs have been converted to contracting, but there again, in the data, it doesn't seem to show up. Which is interesting, Peter, because, I mean, I'm sure that there are companies out there, and I can think of one specifically right off the top of my head that that made the move within the last couple of years to actually take people that were contractors and and either not have the contract continue and bring them on as a full-time employee, or they they did away with the employee that self. So I I don't know if that's a pattern, but as I said, I I can think of at least one company that that has done that in the last year or two. Yeah, all right. It's a puzzle. Dan, if I could just point maybe to a couple of other things I'm sure you want to get in, and that is what's happened to students, uh, people graduating, right? Yeah. They're the most vulnerable just coming into the labor market, and we know from lots of studies, Yvonne will will know these uh, and could maybe speak more to them, that show that the ability to recoup after you start out in a job where you can't use your skills or where you can't get a job in the first place, you're sort of passed over for the next round of advancement, and you can see the effects on these folks for decades afterwards. Uh, so it's not just the initial hit, and it's not just the fact that people who are kind of fragile because they're entering the labor market with lots of student loans, which typically don't defer, only a few of them defer until you get a job, and they're having to pay these things off, and they're crushed by the Great Recession, and the crushing doesn't lift. You know, For a lot of these folks, it continues, and that's maybe the worst thing about this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, Peter talks to... Uh about work by Till von Wächter, who, um, who is now at UCLA, actually. 
And he, he used data from past recessions and he basically compared as much as possible as you can um, with data. He basically compared people who, are, who look very, very similar to each other in terms of their background, their job experience and which sector they're working in. But the only difference is that one of them lost their job during the recession and the other did not. And then he used social security data and, uh, and, and IRS data to track their income over decades. And yeah. he found that even uh, several decades later, there's a significant difference in their income. So then what does it mean right now? And, and this was just a statistic, uh, the latest statistic uh, announced yesterday, uh, the reporting that the job openings in the United States right now climbed to a record 6.9 million mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. of right now. What does that mean mm -hmm. when you're talking about now, and it's happened now, what, I believe four or five months in a row, that mm -hmm. we have more job openings than actually people, at least we believe, looking for work at this point? And I... I think one thing, you know, there's a broader conversation, but I th it, what is certainly true um, is that even if contract work has not actually been that much of a big proportion of the labor force, um, what is certainly true is that the, the kind of the, the implicit contract in the inside organizations has changed. Right. Um, and that, you know, companies just openly do not find as, as their core mission to look after their employees as much as they perhaps historically did. One couldn't be cynical how much they did in the past, but they seem to have done that less now. And I think there's a lot of job openings, but these jobs are not particularly desirable. Um, and they're not, not particularly desirable, not necessarily because of what they are doing, but also how they are compensated. Yeah. Um, and they, what, what, what being working poor means, and many listeners may know what it is, but just to be clear, these are people who who think that, well, if I have to work, I need to get a car, I need to find daycare for my kids. Or, and then after all these expenses, I, I actually lose money. Yeah. Or I make like $50, and is that worth, worth it? And this comes from the discouragement. So a lot of job openings um, are actually jobs that are not really all that desirable. Mm -hmm. David, your thoughts? I can pick up on that a little bit, and I think Ewan's quite right about that. Isn't it interesting that we tend to know or think we know about the number of job openings but we don't, what we do not know or know much less well is what those jobs are paying, what the benefit coverage is, and what the promotional opportunities or career paths are. And as Peter indicated before, there's uh, quite a bit of evidence about the lack of career paths, which used to be part of both implicit and explicit uh, employment contracts that we had in the United States. So the availability of jobs by the numbers of them I don't think that tells us very much. Peter? Yeah, uh, Dan, I think another interesting part of this, which I, I've started to bump into and some colleagues at Georgetown have written about this, is a lot of these vacancies are what we're now calling phantom jobs. Right. And that is they're not really job openings. Uh, that sometimes what happens is a company posts a job. It costs nothing these days to post a job. It's not like in the old days when these data were generated by the government, you had to pay to put an ad in a newspaper. These days, you put a pop an ad up on your website, it costs you nothing to keep it up. So sometimes they fill the job and they keep the ad up simply because they're trying to collect resumes. There are recruiters that post fake jobs because they're trying to gather resumes that they can then pitch to other clients. So this seems to be a non-trivial issue. And again, it doesn't mean the labor market's not getting tighter. Mm -hmm. But it does mean that 
one of the new developments with this electronic labor markets is maybe the data don't mean quite the same yeah. thing as they used to mean. Ivan? Yeah, I, I just want to make one p- quick point, and because we're running out of time, you will not contest me. That's wonderful. So, <laughs> um, you know, what we see is when you look at the stock market, the companies are really wealthy or they're valued very, very highly, which is what the <coughs> S&P 500 means, is the what how much markets value these companies. And they're extraordinarily high. So one, pe- in some sense, people might say, well, if the recession comes, you know, we are basically bombarding companies who are doing very, very well. And I, I think this is a very, this 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 argument does not hold water, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Great having you all with us. Uh, we certainly uh, will like uh, to try and uh, continue this discussion at another time. Peter, David, thank you for your time on the phone today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Yvonne. Great seeing you again. Thank you for coming in. Yvonne Barankay and Peter Capelli from here at the Wharton School. David Lewin from UCLA joining us as we talk about uh, jobs and employment and how they have been impacted in the decade since the recession. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.